So I have a sister. She is younger than me in many ways, probably a lot more intelligent, uh, responsible, you know, all the, all the good qualities, right? I, I, I am funny. I'm funnier for sure. Uh, better storyteller. You know, I look good too. I'm more attract. I'm the more attractive <laughs> of the two. But the, that's not the point. The point is this. If she was really struggling and if our mom wasn't in the picture and if it was our grandma taking care of us both, but grandma was struggling and going through some other stuff, would I have it within me to adopt and be the guardian of my younger sister? So that's really the story of today's guest, uh, Dr. Khalil Graham. And he ended up adopting his younger brother to uh, help give him structure, to pull out the potential that Khalil saw in his younger brother uh, and give him a chance, right? To open doors, give him a pathway to success. And I can't imagine doing that while still in school, right? So it's a tremendous story. And you're going to hear so much more about what makes Dr. Graham amazing. And not only that, we're going to dig into the topics of love and excellence. And so you'll you'll for sure want to be here for every minute of the show. Hey, it's Daniel, and welcome to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, a show for ruckus makers, those out-of-the-box leaders making change happen in education. And we'll be right back after these messages from our show sponsors. to develop your skills to identify challenges, incorporate and support innovation, and plan and drive school improvement in leading school strategy and innovation, a certificate in school management and leadership course from Harvard. Leading school strategy and innovation runs from February 2nd to March 2nd, 2022. Apply by January 21st at betterleadersbetterschools.com slash Harvard. During covid Every teacher is a new teacher. That's why innovative school leaders are turning to TeachFX, whose virtual PD is equipping thousands of teachers with the skills they need to create engaging, equitable, and rigorous virtual or blended classes. To learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer, visit teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. That's teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. All students have an opportunity to succeed with Organized Binder, who equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning, whether that's in a distance, hybrid, or traditional educational setting. Learn more at OrganizedBinder.com. Dr. Khalil Graham currently serves as the Executive Director of Liberty STEAM Charter Schools, and he has extensive experience in successfully opening three charter schools. Dr. Graham has spent much of his career in high-performing charter networks as both a teacher and a leader, leading at, yes, prep, idea public schools, and friendship charter schools. As a founding college prep principal, his district was awarded the 2016 District Broad Prize as the most outstanding charter school network in the country in the leadership of over 500 students. He was also awarded 10 TEA distinctions throughout his 15-year leadership career. And Dr. Khalil Graham, welcome to the show. Thank you. 
So you have a very interesting uh, story where you actually adopted your brother when he was in middle school. Would you take us to that moment? Yes. In looking at that moment in my life, it was really transformational for me as a person, as well as me as an educator in kind of laying that foundational vision for you know, where I wanted to find value in not only my personal life, but in my work. Um, my grandmother who raised us was, had just recently passed. And my family was at a moment where we were really trying to figure out for my youngest brother, who was just finishing up elementary school, you know, what would be the next step for his support? I was in my uh, early year, um, in my first year of my doctoral program uh, at the University of Kentucky and decided that in order for me to best support him, I would actually take on the responsibility of being his guardian and making his health and education choices. Um, I did that in part because I know how hard it is growing up in inner city New York and some of the challenges that he might face and giving him a different opportunity and a different viewpoint of life outside of New York City alongside me in a more you know, organized structure, I thought would be helpful for him personally and giving him the best chance to be successful in life. On the education side, knowing that that was where my future was going career-wise, I was pursuing my doctorate in education leadership, wanting to be an advocate for him, uh, especially as a special needs student, to be able to get the best access he could and the best advocacy he could. And it's really formatted my passion for working for the underdog, uh, being that ruckus maker who really thinks about what we can do to make change for the people who don't naturally have that advantage, right? To create an equitable outcome for all people. I had to learn that through my own advocacy with my younger brother. And so learning to be a parent on the fly, you know, while I was a grad school student and learning how to still be an adult in many ways uh, was a challenge. And he grew up with me in lots of different ways. Um, and looking back, I think it's been really profound in helping me to develop leadership and really a, a self-awareness as a man and as a human being, as well as as I look at my role as an educational leader and how do I create environments that can support young people like my younger brother. Yeah, that's really a brilliant story. And there's so much to dig into. Like you said, the self-awareness piece regarding, you know, yourself. You talked about leadership, talked about education, uh, you know, amazing, amazing story. I think the curious question I'd love to pose to you is, as you were growing up, you said you were growing up, you know, with him, what was something that sustained you or helped you navigate these new waters successfully? Yeah, I think two things come to mind for me. One is a tremendous sense of love and duty uh, for my, for my young brother, for a family member, for somebody who I wanted to see be successful. And I knew that I could play a part in influencing his success, whether it's through providing resources and experiences, guidance, or just being a support to listen as he was growing and experiencing his own life journey. So I think that, that part was something that really made me feel a passion towards, you know, what that experience would be like. I think the other part is leveraging my own education experience and my, you know, dropping out of high school, you know, being homeless in New York City and, and kind of having to find my own way and thinking about one of the, the main lessons I learned is, you know, having those special people in your life who can be 
change makers to support you maybe veering from the wrong path to the right path is important. And you never know who those people would be. And if I could be that type of person for him with my understanding and kind of foresight of where I was going based on where I'd been and maybe sharing some of that to guide his journey, I did want to make that a priority as well. So it was a sacrifice and it's one that I would make a hundred times over. Uh, But I believe that in every person's life, they need that type of advocate that can help them to kind of navigate in a way that sets them up for success short and long term. Right. So those lived experiences you had and then the context of helping your brother, it sounds like that's what helps you put on that, that, underdogs advocate, you know, sort of uniform, if you will, you know, or something like that. It's, it comes from your, your history, maybe, um, you know, you mentioned dropping out of high school and experiencing homelessness and here you are, you know, very successful, you know, Dr. Graham, like you, you've, you've done it, you know, and I'm just curious, like when you're, there's a gap, right. From those challenging times to the success you've achieved And obviously it's not like necessarily a very linear and easy path from those struggles to, you know, Dr. Graham. But I'm curious, uh, was there was there a moment that helped you figure it out? Right. Like to believe what was possible within yourself or I could be completely off. Like maybe you never doubted in that kind of thing. And uh, it was just uh, trusting the process, getting the right people around you or whatever. It's, it's your story, not mine. I'm, I'm just, I'm curious how that worked out for you. Yeah. I think there are three people who come to mind who really, I think, steered my life in a direction where it would set me up for the type of impact that I'm hopefully having now, but continue to strive to have in my career. I think about Miss Kennedy, my third grade teacher, who when my grandmother was struggling with emotional stress and wasn't able necessarily to support me at the level that I wanted to. I actually was the reader of the month in her classroom, in Miss Kennedy's classroom. And part of that was you had to get your signatures for your reading. I used to read all night so I could be the reader of the month and get the pizza party. And I actually forged my own signature and I would do my book report, but my grandmother wasn't actually up when I would finish reading and when I would go to school in the morning. So one day, Miss Kennedy probably realized that that signature looks a lot like Khalil's handwriting in class. And she pulled me to the side. And when she pulled me to the side, I immediately started crying and told her I read every book and I could tell her every page because I had read those books. And she had the opportunity to either discipline me or to look and see more in me. And she called a meeting with my grandmother. And when she had that meeting, I thought I was going to get disciplined or in trouble. And she actually gave my grandmother a pamphlet for a program called Prep for Prep, which took talented inner city students and gave them a chance to go to private school. And so this was a program that started in fifth grade going into sixth. And I'm in third grade. She worked with my grandmother for two years on that application so that I would have access to the type of educational environment that met my capacity and my potential. So that person showed me the power of teachers and the power of people who see in you something you might not see in yourself. I think about Mr. Joseph Ayala, who was a counselor in that prep for prep program. And when I dropped out of the $45,000 a year uh, independent school I was going to in New York City and was living on the subway, actually came and found me 
and found me in a, in a park in New York City that wasn't too far away from that office because uh, I didn't really have too many places to go. So I still think about how he found me and the efforts that he put in that he didn't have to. But talking to me and reorienting me to what my purpose in life could be based on the experiences I had already been through, you know, with my parents and just how I had grown up and what my education could prepare me for. And that person taking that extra time was another change maker in my world and steering me in the path back into education, back into going to college. And then as I went through my collegiate experience, Dr. Wayne Lewis was my advisor while I was in graduate school and really set the tone for me as an education leader on the expectation of what does it mean to be excellent in your work? Knowing that I went to the University of Kentucky as the youngest doctoral student they had ever had in the School of Education. I was, I believe, 24 years old uh, going into that program. And so I was still figuring out many parts of being an adult as well as being a scholar and thinking about all of those pieces. He looked in me and really pushed me to look past age, to look past experience and to look towards excellence, which has been a guiding star for me throughout my career and really helped me as I've gotten into new experiences where I can have greater impact, reorient myself and the teams I've been able to support around, regardless of backgrounds, regardless of different things people are bringing to the table. How do we have a context of what excellence looks like in our work and how do we strive towards that every day with steps that lead us there? Beautiful. So just to reflect, you know, for you, but also for the ruckus maker listening, you know, I'm hearing in Mrs. Kennedy and uh, Mr. Ayala seeing purpose and potential in your life and calling that out. And then Dr. Lewis, similarly, but then framing that around this idea of excellence, which we'll dig into in a second. The other thing now the listener can't uh, see because, you know, we're recording video, but they're listening to audio. Uh, Khalil's face lit up when he started talking about these folks in his life and uh, just so the ruckus maker knows the impact that you have on people's lives is tremendous for better or worse. Right. But these, these folks who poured into you saw your potential, Mr. Ayala going above and beyond to find you in a park. Like, wow, what, what an incredible uh, deposit into your life. And now, that is having so much fruit, you know, the ripple effect is very, very real in how you show up in your presence as a leader. So I just want to honor those folks and honor you, Khalil, because um, you all are honorary ruckus makers for sure. So thank you. You were talking about, yeah, of course, it's my pleasure talking about Dr. Lewis and this idea of excellence. And I know that's something that's really important to you. Um, so how do you think about and how do you define excellence? Yes, that's a great question. And one of the things foundationally that I always start with is that there has to be a separation of excellence and perfection because mm-hmm. so many people see them as the same. To be excellent, you have to be perfect. Right. When in reality, the healthiest, both in mind, body and in focus of your work is to see excellence as a very specific set of actions and habits and perfection as something that you can look at aspirationally of like, hey, I want to do my very best that would lead to these outcomes. But in practice and habit, we're building things that are very tangible and functional. And part of the growth experience is that you are allowed to make mistakes and that we encourage and celebrate those as learning experiences. So for me, excellence is grounded in two principles. Number one, are people giving 
tremendous effort with the priorities and tasks that are assigned with them, whatever they're doing, whether it's in their personal life and their professional life, are they giving tremendous effort in those things? And the second principle is, are you grounding yourself as a growth minded person? And so when I look at the people who have been successful in both my career and in the people I've been fortunate enough to work alongside, as well as in my personal life, people that I admire and respect, they are not people who have done everything perfectly, but they are people who have a tremendous mindset around growth and what can they learn to be better. They have a hunger for that. Knowing that feedback is a part of that, knowing that self-exploration and, and understanding your own identity is a part of that. So those are huge avenues that I feel can really grow you in the right direction. The other piece is there are people who give tremendous effort, right? Who try and who align their effort, not just to do a lot of things, but to do the right things. Right. And so really pushing, are you clear on not only what the goal is, but what are the priorities or the key habits that we want to build to lead to that goal? And excellence happens when you consistently do those things and you're refining them to get better each and every day. Yeah, consistency is so key, proponent of that. And so I love that definition of excellence. If I boiled it down from what you said, that that effort uh, based on the task at hand and then uh, a framework, a, a disposition towards growth mindset, right? Learning from the mistakes and the successes and uh, always just like leveling up, getting better. You you met Gene. He he was on a call when we all first talked in the pre-chat. I bringing him. I'm bringing him into this conversation just because since you brought feedback up in in regards to growth mindset, two books I'll recommend to you and all the ruckus makers listening if you haven't read them yet. Uh, Radical Candor, which Gene absolutely loves. It's by Gene Scott, and then that's that's more about giving the feedback. But there's a great book called uh, Thanks for the Feedback. Uh, by Douglas Stone, I believe, and Sheila Heen, I want to say. And that's about receiving it, right? And, uh, you know, both of those combined together help you uh, deliver, you know, even higher levels of, of feedback. So very cool. I think, you know, what I'd like to do here is pause just for a moment uh, for a message from our sponsors. But when we come back, I want to talk more about excellence, how we integrate that into our environments and something that you also believe too, which dare I say can be provocative, how do we build environments built on love? Learn how to successfully drive school change and help your diverse stakeholders establish priorities and improve practice in leading change. A certificate in school management and leadership course from Harvard. Topics include adaptive leadership, culture equity, and more. Leading Change runs from February 2nd to March 2nd, 2022. Apply by January 21st. Enroll by January 27th. Get started at betterleadersbetterschools.com slash Harvard. That's betterleadersbetterschools.com slash Harvard. Better Leaders, Better Schools is brought to you by school leaders like Principal Gutierrez using TeachFX. Special populations benefit the most from verbally engaging in class, but get far fewer opportunities to do so than their peers, especially in virtual classes. TeachFX measures verbal engagement automatically in virtual or in-person classes to help schools and teachers address these issues of equity during COVID. Learn more and get a special offer from Better Leaders, Better Schools listeners at teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. That's teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. 
Today's show is brought to you by Organized Binder. Organized Binder develops the skills and habits all students need for success. During these uncertain times of distance learning and hybrid education settings, Organized Binder equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning routines so that all students have an opportunity to succeed, whether at home or in the classroom. Learn more at OrganizedBinder.com. All right, and we're back with Dr. Khalil Graham, and we've heard his amazing story, uh, where he's been, where he's going, and we were just digging into this idea of excellence. And now I want to talk about how you integrate excellence and how do you create environments that are built on love and excellence? Yeah, it's something that is a it's a journey for me professionally in knowing that each opportunity is going to have a different pathway towards leading to creating that environment, who's involved, what are the goals of that, that opportunity, um, et cetera. So there's some different considerations. I think foundationally, um, you have to be driven by understanding people and knowing that most, if not all organizations, especially education-based organizations, are trying to achieve results through people. And so understanding the humanity that comes with that. And when I talk about love, it's not the intimate portion that people might consider, but it's being very realistic around, are you self-aware with who you are, how your energy works, what things you bring to the table and willing to express that to the people you work around? And are you also willing to invest in others? And that can be in time, that can be in listening and being a support. Um, and that can also be in celebrating them. Are we creating an environment where people as adults and kids feel appreciated and feel inspired to continue to grow within the work in the organization towards our mission? So I think that that foundationally is where love is. And combining that with that sense of excellence of being clear on what's the North Star for your, your organization and what does that mission alignment look like for all of the respective people who are a part of that mission and how do we cascade that message both internally to our scholars that we serve, to their families, to all the people who support us, and then externally to people who want to learn more about us so that it is clear who we are, where we're going, and how each piece fits there. So a big part of my role is making sure that at a high, a high strategic level that those things are clear and that they make sense as we go down from leadership to people who are on the ground, really making the change for our young people every day, and then to our supporters and trying to make sure that that messaging has a level of not only clarity, but also is effective in talking about how those things tie together. How does love and having a great place for people to come and work and grow align with excellence of people now being clear on what the mission is and their ability to execute the mission through their priorities and having a system that allows them to grow and develop with a network. One of the uh, podcast listeners, I'll just give her first name, Lisa is a superintendent and she sent me a message just today talking about building a culture, which I imagine is somewhat like yours and, and what's relevant to our conversation. She says people drive past districts that are offering higher salaries, right, to work for her within her district because they feel that connection. They feel seen and heard. Their successes are celebrated. You know, they're supported when they fall down. And it's just it's a happy and fun environment to work in, you know. And so what you're talking about makes a lot of sense from a high level. I get it. I think the ruckus maker gets it, too. 
Do you mind sharing, you know, the, how the sausage is made, so to speak, but what are some practical things? Like, can you bring us to a moment when you are like celebrating someone or the self-awareness piece, you know, whatever, but can you make it real for us? Like, how does Khalil do that? Yes. And so I'm grounded in my leadership um, in something called operating mechanisms. Okay. So what I heard a great quote from Urban Meyer, who I respect as a leader because he not only developed football players and you know, was a great coach, yeah. but he also was somebody who thought about leadership as an art. And that was something I really respected as I you know, learned more about him and read a book that he wrote called Above the Line, which is something I try to ground our team in is do we have above the line behaviors every day? You know, that that kind of moves us in a direction where we're able to make long-term change is he talked about, you know, average leaders having quotes and then good leaders having a plan and exceptional leaders having a system. And so really pushing with our goals here to say, do we have systems that will live and grow as we develop, but also that will sustain excellence and sustain love. And so with that, the operating mechanisms are the heart of many of those systems. And that is the core way that we interact that allow us to be clear on our mission, but also to grow and appreciate one another. And so for me, the three key ones that you would see in a week um, at school level, at the network level, um, even with our teachers, you know, as they're interacting with kids, we want to have a daily huddle, which is a place to make sure alignment is happening each day. And it can be a quick meeting between people. It can also be a longer meeting, uh, depending on what kind of teams you have. But a daily way to make sure you come together, a weekly check-in where you're able to align with what are the goals that you have for this upcoming week and how have they been going and what support do you need to continue in those goals. And then a weekly tactical meeting, which is a place for your whole team to come together every week and align on where things have gone for the team, what has been succeeded in terms of success and what are areas that you want to develop. So those areas is where we want to build in that appreciation for one another. Are we celebrating wins? Are we finding ways to give feedback to one another to grow each other in the work that we have? And if there are priority areas that a person has concerns about, do we have a structured place and time where those things can grow and get better? So that's something that I think is really powerful in being able to build in the ways that you appreciate your team to build into the systems that you already have. They might not look exactly like ours, but the systems you have when you're actually embracing who is the employee of the month, who might be the person that you celebrate for a special thing they did and give them a chance to share that with the team. Just being really thoughtful of building it into the systems you already have to enhance them and making it a place where people feel valued, but you still are having a structure that aligns your work. I like, I never heard that term operating mechanism. So thanks for that. And then the Urban Meyer story, if I heard you correct, the average has the quote, the average leader has a quote, good leader has a plan, and then the exceptional leaders have a system, right? Did I get that correct? Yes. Very, very good. Yeah. I am definitely fascinated in investing a lot in systems these days as we scale, you know, how we show up and serve school leaders. And to me, like for the ruckus maker listening, why systems level thinking is where the highest effective leaders operate because then it's not all about you. You're not always going to be within that organization and real, real leaders 
build other leaders too, right? And so once you have that system designed, it almost works autonomously. I know that people have to put their effort into it and that kind of thing, but it can exist. You're not the bottleneck is what I'm trying to say, right? So I love telling people that the leader is the greatest opportunity and the greatest challenge within any uh, any organization. So Khalil, I know you, you're all about growth mindset. And uh, from our pre-chat, I wrote down that that there's an importance of action and uh, focus on what you've learned versus the grade. So can you unpack that a little bit for us too? Absolutely. And for me, appreciating the journey and being very thoughtful of what habits are you building? Yep. Because all data, grades, performance evaluations, uh, test scores, they are all feedback and their most elementary level. So their outcomes that you will receive, right? You know, once you put the pen to paper and fill out the test, the grade is an outcome. The test itself is an event. It's something that's happened that you probably can't change. You have to take that test. So you have to go through that performance review. So there's an event and there's an outcome. In the middle is your response. Hmm. And so if you think about the event plus the response, that's going to lead to the outcome that you won't have an effect on because it's all about your response. And so being really thoughtful at the student level, how do we teach our young people to respond to things that are happening to them, whether they're at their personal life at home, whether it's in school when I didn't get a math problem, right? But teaching them that through modeling at every level of the organization of we really want to be really critical of our responses to events. How are things happening and how are we seeing them and experiencing them and what are we learning from them to still continue to grow us towards the mission that we have for serving young people? And so being really thoughtful and also disciplined in making that a continual part of the conversation is something that I'm working on and continuing to grow, but pushing people past the actual grade or the the goal to thinking about what the goal makes you do. What habits does it build? Because one thing that consistently you hear in leadership studies is that if your habits don't match your goals, you need to either change your habits or change your goals. And so being really thoughtful here that we have consistent goals in education, whether it's student proficiency, whether it's, you know, something more tangible, like having hired, you know, buildings or engagement, there's metrics that people can evaluate. But at the end of the day, the metrics are outcomes. They're at the end. What happens every day are the habits and the behaviors that you live and being really thoughtful about how those things develop and what is the self-awareness we have as teams, as well as as individuals around the building of those habits is something that I want to make sure that I continue to grow in our organization. And I would encourage anybody as they're thinking about making their teams better, their schools better, um, to really, really thoughtful about it. how do you talk about those things? How do you celebrate those things in terms of people's growth and awareness on the experiences they have towards reaching goals and what habits they're building? Right. That's great. I, I appreciate how you broke that down for us. Uh, I think you consider yourself a futurist in education. So what's that all about? What does that mean? Yes, I am a believer that as a ruckus maker, got to be really thinking about not where school is, but where does it need to go to support kids to the world that they're going in and the world that's continuing to evolve? And the areas that I look at is how do we build critical thinking and advocacy that student-centered and not teacher-centered environments or adult-centered environments and thinking what does that look like at the elementary level all the way up through the high school and the higher education level? 
and knowing that to be successful in our world, it's not a singular set of skills that you need, but it's having a very conceptual way of thinking about things and understanding as things come to you, how to adapt to more technical problems and issues that you might see, as well as more adaptive problems and issues you might see. And so really pushing to have that be a part of the learning environment because standards change, tests change, teaching styles change. But what doesn't change is the world that we are asking kids to go into is ever evolving and is pushing them more than to have a singular set of skills to be able to be creative in whatever workflow that they're held responsible for in their communities and their work in their families even. And so how do we build that mindset is important for me and thinking about how do we use project-based learning to support that? How do we use student ownership on certain policies and aspects of their school experience to own that? And knowing that at the end of the day, if we build their ability to think and really understand their school experience and be able to articulate that, that's going to drive schools to meet the needs of kids where they are at the time they're there, but also giving them a framework that they can leverage as they leave those schools and go into the world and have, have to be able to think about really complex issues that they either have personally or that they're dealing with in some aspect of their life or career in a way that's going to let them be problem solvers and change makers. Right. And even some is, uh, I don't want to do it injustice by calling it simple, but the idea of like how students respond, right, to the grades or the outcomes of these events, you know, that's a skill then that transfers just to life, <laughs> be it a success in life, because there's going to be things that happen all the time. And it's about owning, as you mentioned, the self-awareness piece, the presence, like how you respond and all of that. So cool. Thank you for talking a bit about being a futurist. So these last two questions I ask all the guests cannot wait to hear how you're going to answer them. And so Khalil, if you could put one message across all school marquees around the world for a single day, what would your message read? It's a great question. And I've thought about this a lot. (laughs) I would say every school on their marquee should say at this school, Every young person and adult gets exactly what they need and deserve. Mm. We believe in equity. That's a wonderful promise to make to the community. And Khalil, if you're building a school from the ground up, you're not limited by any resources. Your only limitations, your imagination. How would you build your dream school and what would be your top three priorities? And I'm currently practicing this as we open schools here in South Carolina uh, with the network that I'm in. Uh, My three priorities would be, number one, creating a student-centered experience, both instructionally as well as their social and, and cultural experience. And knowing like what staff needs to be a part of that, what strategic planning needs to be a part of that, and being really clear around what would the student experience look like from the day, the time they walked in the door all the way out to when they're graduating from their respective school and knowing that ownership should be a part of how we evaluate their success. How much did they get to own their experience as opposed to how much mastery that they get in science or math or ELA. So would really hone in on making something that's crystal clear for the young person, a guide, a playbook of sorts so that they have that, their parents have that. And they would feel really supported all the way through. 
I think in terms of love, I would love to have a coordinator of organizational health on every campus. And this person's job is to really sit and listen specifically to the needs of the campus and ensure that we are pushing to be a great place to work for every adult and a great place to learn for every scholar. And so that would be a person who their job is to make sure in the systems that we have and the systems we need to develop, we are putting people first because humans are walking into that building. And so when things happen in the local community, when there are issues nationally that we need to think about, and when there are ways that we want to celebrate our young people or our adults, this is a person who is owning and making sure that that happens. And it is a critical part of the success of the school is that this person is owning that stream. So I'd love to have that on every campus and and really have that be a person that was a leader and seen as a critical part of the campus's success. The last thing I would want to have at every campus is I would love to have Every child have access to one million words worth of books, regardless of their age group, knowing that it looks different at every campus and every size um, when you're talking about that. But I think there's a power in teaching kids to be critical thinkers through the use of text and whether it's teaching a kindergartner how to read and they're reading with their teachers or teaching a high schooler who's a junior or senior how to read text and compare with things going on contemporarily in that time or in our current time, as well as themes that they see across certain pieces of literature and being able to have them think in context currently and outside their context so that we're building that muscle of being thoughtful to their own experience and how it relates or doesn't relate to others' experience so that they can have that level of self-awareness and knowing that if we can get kids to read a million words a year, when they go into the world, I believe that they'll have a level of awareness and understanding to be the type of change makers that they're going to need to be for their communities and for the work that they'll be doing as professionals. So if those three things could happen, I really feel like the schools that I would be a part of would meet my goal and expectation for changing kids' lives every day they walk through the door. Absolutely. We don't have uh, time for it on the show, but knowing what would be in your million word, you know, uh, book, book reading plan for yourself would be super interesting. Uh, but I'm, I'm so resonating with everything you said, but with the million words, you know, I had nine books delivered to the house yesterday. Right. And I cannot wait, uh, to dig in. So thank you for sharing that. So Dr. Khalil Graham, thank you so much, right, for being my guest today on the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast. We covered a lot of ground, but what's the one thing you want a ruckus maker to remember? Every great education institution should be grounded in love, equity, and excellence. Thanks for listening to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, Ruckus Maker. If you have a question or would like to connect, my email, daniel at betterleadersbetterschools.com or hit me up on Twitter at Alien Earbud. If the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is helping you grow as a school leader, then please help us serve more ruckus makers like you. You can subscribe, leave an honest rating and review, or share on social media with your biggest takeaway from the episode. Extra credit for tagging me on Twitter at Alien Earbud and using the hashtag BLBS. Level up your leadership at betterleadersbetterschools.com and talk to you next time. Until then, class dismissed. Mm -hmm.